How many would agree with that? A lot of things have happened. To be honest with you, this Ukraine and Russia is not close to my heart, although um, last year I took a seminary class from a Russian pastor who has a church of over 400 or 500 people. Um, it's quite impressive and uh, his, his love for, the, for lost souls, see people saved. It was a wonderful thing to be with him. One man that does have a lot to do with Ukraine, and you know him well, is Dr. Jeff Straub. How many remember Dr. Straub? So Dr. Straub has recently, within the last two years I believe, been to Ukraine and preached at those churches and saw baptisms and was with them. Um, twice. And I can't think of someone else who would know more than he would on the subject. And so I'm using his material here to help us because let's be honest, how should we respond to these current, to this current crisis? How do we respond to that? How do we respond to COVID? Well, none of us probably responded. No one responded to COVID perfectly correct. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> No matter, no matter where we were, we, did, we had some things wrong. Um, so many times we had them wrong because we focus on the wrong things. Um, I think when we respond to things, we need to look through Scripture, not through our Americanized eyes. Does that make sense? Um, not that America is bad. I love America. It's great. I'm a wonderful, wonderful country. Greatest country to live in. So thankful for the freedoms that we have. But, but we are Christians before we are Americans. Christ always comes first. And by the way, that's why there is an America. It's because Christ came first. Our founding fathers, it's just, uh, yeah, I can't wait. I, I've been studying a little bit on them and it's just amazing how many true evangelical Christians were part of the founding fathers. Unbelievable. By the way, I'll just add this. Sorry, I, I just learned this a couple weeks here now. So many times, even in seminary and all across our news, you know, our founding fathers were all uh, deists. How many heard that? You know, a couple of them were, but there were like 54 of them, and 26 of them were evangelical Christians by their own testimony. Just like you and I, by their testimony. It's just amazing. I, I never knew that, to be honest with you. I always thought they were Christians, but then I thought, oh, maybe not. These guys that are in the know know better than I do. Well, they changed my mind and it shouldn't have been. Anyway, <laughs> praise the Lord for that founding. So how do we respond, though, to a crisis that is way across the world from us? Um, we might feel it in our when we get up to the Shell station or some other gas, or if you're like me, you love to pay the four dollars a gallon diesel. You know, what do we do with that stuff? What? How does that? How do we? Do, well, that's one of the things we do. We worry about us. I don't know if you saw this, but this wonderful lady called Mrs. Behar. Do you know who she is? Here's how she responded. I don't know what we're going to do. I have a vacation scheduled in Europe and I can't go. And that gets applauded. Folks, there are people dying. People being slaughtered. Christians dying. Being slaughtered. How are we as Christians to respond? What, how are we supposed to respond to that issue? How, what can we do? What should we do? Dr. Straub here offers some suggestion. He has pictures, and I should have put them up there so you could see Ukrainian pastors and, and baptizing their new converts. I, I should have done that. But here's a list of things you might want to write down that we can do for these people. Number one, recognize that proceeding the coming of Christ there will be wars and rumors of wars. In other words, this should be expected. We shouldn't freak out about it. 
we should expect it. And you will hear of war, the Bible says in Matthew 24, 6, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. Number two, obviously, pray for our brothers and sisters afflicted. Both in Ukraine and in Russia, there are Christians in both nations. Things may get very difficult for them. Prayer is the least we can do. Pray for them individually, that God would protect them. Pray for them corporately, that God will give them strength to be a witness. Pray for their children, often casualty of war. Pray for the women who might be brutalized by their oppressors. Pray for the men who will be called up for military service. According to Dr. Straub, one of my Ukrainian brothers has a church on a military base. His wife was my translator during my first visit there in 2003. He may see his entire congregation wiped out in the military action. I don't know that we would stand up like they are. Pray for the pastors to have wisdom to know how to shepherd their flocks during this difficult time. Number three, pray for our own political leaders. Will they take us to war? Should they take us to war? It could happen. Maybe it should if sanctions do not work. Our leaders need to provide guidance even if they do not know the Lord. Remember, the king's heart is in the Lord's hands. Pray for the Ukrainian political leaders, especially President Zelensky. Pray for Russia. And yes, pray for Putin. God could deal with him as he dealt with Nebuchadnezzar. He could repent. Pray for those who surround him. He is not alone in this tyranny. Pray for the world leaders like Boris Johnson, Justin Trudeau, Emmanuel Macron, Olaf Schultz, and others. It may take a united effort to bring this tyranny to an end. Pray for the stability in the neighboring countries. Romania, once under the Soviet thumb, is receiving refugees right now. Christians there are ministering as they are able. Maybe we can help them. By the way, Central Seminary has a, a, a base, if you will, a, a, a school in Romania. That's one of their hubs in the world. Pray for the harvest of souls among the Ukrainians especially. Pray for the stability in neighboring countries like Romania. Christians that are ministering there um, that will be able to do that as well as they can. Pray for the mission agencies that help the Ukrainian churches. One agency which with, with which I am familiar is heavily invested in both countries. Things may look significantly different in the days ahead. And lastly, number 10, pray for the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can set this world straight and bring lasting peace. I think it's well written. And I thought it was important that you are at least given some direction of how you can help uh, these people that are suffering. All right, we go into what the world is doing to itself to G Matthew chapter 25. If you have your Bibles, let's turn there. Matthew chapter 25, <clears throat> verse 31 through 46. <clears throat> tell you what, I had a wonderful day yesterday of studying. Usually I end up with, if I have five pages concise, that's worth about, an, it's about an hour's worth of preaching. I have five papers that are ten pages each. There's so much information to get through. Some of eschatology... It's hard to focus on, not hard, but it's, 
it, it becomes a challenge that we, we get focused on all the information and not about God who gave us that, right? It's easy to do, very easy, especially with eschatology. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 says, But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another, as shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. And He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. God is a sovereign God. Folks, God does not change His plans. God said, when did He plan on a kingdom for His people? When, did that thing, when was that a thing? Before the foundation of the world. Folks, if that does not happen, if He changes His plan and that does not happen, then my, that God is a liar. My God is not a liar. He is all truth. He is all act. And God vehemently says, I planned this from the foundations of the world. By the way, so was your salvation. According to Ephesians chapter 1. Now I lost my place. And he will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you and from, from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Basically, I had a bad time and you helped. Surprised, verse 37, the person says, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you in a, stra you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and came to you? And come to you. When did we do that? I don't remember. That's what he's saying. The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left, Depart from me, ye cursed ones into the eternal fire which God has prepared before the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat and I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer the Lord, surprisingly again, when did we see you hungry and thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these. You did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. So, this is, what we're going to do this morning is this. I have way too much information. We're just going to go through the text very moderately slow. Not super slow, but just go through the text. Next week and the following week, Lord willing, we're going to show you Side by side, passages of Scripture that, oh wow, they look alike. They look alike. They, that's a little different. That's a little the same. And we're going to go through and just wrap our minds around what God's plan is for this world. Does that make sense? We're going to be doing that in the next couple of weeks. This morning, we're just going to go through the text, which is probably the most important part. Last week, we talked about this, but when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, he will sit on His glorious throne. I love this so much because so many times covenant theologians are like, well, there's only one judgment. God only has one judgment for the whole world. And that's at the end of the world and they would conflate, if you will, the sheep goat judgment and any other judgment that there might be with the great white throne judgment. How many have ever heard of the great white throne judgment? The great white throne judgment without question 
without any questions between evangelicals, the great white throne judgment is at the very end of all things before he makes the new heaven and new earth. There is without question, everybody agrees with that. That's when the great white throne judgment is. Now, the difficulty is many people disagree about this judgment. Some people say that this judgment is the great white throne judgment. Some people say this one's a different judgment apart from the great white throne judgment. Why does that matter? Why does it matter? Well, do you remember the Old Testament prophets saying, when are you going to deal with these wicked, ungodly people? How many remember that? Did he say he would deal with them? Over and over again. And the prophets over and over again, some of them crying, saying, Lord, just get these guys off my neck. When will your justice be done? God's justice will be done. The reason it's important is God is a God of justice. He has to be. We have to be. The world has to be judged according to the injustice they have placed on God or done against God. Does that make sense? Justice has to happen. Well, this text, we believe here at Northland, all there was disagree, that this is a judgment that takes place after the tribulation because we just talked about the tribulation in the text. It's, if it's chronological, it's obvious. After the tribulation, when Jesus comes down on this earth, how many excited about Jesus coming to this earth? What a great time that'll be, amen. <clears throat> Before that, um, I have not been doing my, I used to say this all the time in the old Catholic church building. I remember being in there. Using a jump rope. Do you know what people that use jump ropes are doing? It's called rapture practice. I can't wait to be out of here for that tribulation and Him judging the world. But I also can't wait to come back here with Christ and rule and reign with Him. Praise the Lord. What a, what a glorious time that will be. We believe, because we're dispensational in our eschatology, we believe that this judgment, be, judgment it's really, literally the judgment of the nations. That's the true term. Judgment of the nations. It is like a shepherd separating sheep from goats, but it's the judgment of the nations that Christ is coming down to do. And so He's going to come down, and here's what He's going to do. He has promised Israel from day one, I will be your God, you will be my people. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 39, He said, you will not see Me again until you say, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Matthew chapter 24, it's over and over. It's these things are going to happen and these things are going to happen. And there's going to be two ladies out in the wine press. One will be taken, one will be left. What is he talking about? He's talking about this very judgment that's going to be dealt with here in this text. There is going to be a time when God, according to the Bible, look at the Bible says, the Son of Man comes in His glory. Comes, and we talked about this last two weeks ago. So it might be a little, a lot of things have happened since that. But here's the deal. Where does He come from? He comes from heaven. Jesus is in heaven, amen? What is he, where is He at? Literally in heaven. The right hand of God. He's coming from heaven to where? To us. That's what He's talking about. He's got to come from somewhere to somewhere. The idea, it's funny because my covenant friends would say, well, listen, how in the world is he going to have, be on a throne in front of all these people? I don't know, but he's coming, according to the text, from heaven to the earth, and that's where it's going to be. Because that's what the text says. So he's coming in his glory with all of his angels. Why his angels are with him? Why? So before he came, how? Jesus Christ came as a man. In a stable, in a food trough. Glory be. How many understand that? That's how he came the first time. Why? Because he came as a suffering servant. 
He came to die on the cross. Now He's coming again. This time, there ain't no manger. There ain't no dung around. There ain't no bellowing cows. Instead, there's trumpets. There's angels. There's glory. There's brightness. There's greatness. There's awesomeness. There's God. And He's coming down here. Why? Because He promised all along, I will give you a kingdom and the King of David will sit on that throne. Do you know who that is? Jesus Christ Himself. That's why in Matthew and in Luke, I think it's in Luke, He gives you the whole uh, background of Christ's lineage to prove He has not only the blood of the kingship, but also the rights of the kingship. Amen? In both texts. It's just awesome. It's awesome how that Bible just kind of works all together. You ever notice that? It's so cool. But anyways, it's awesome when everybody's telling the truth. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, and the reason the angels are coming is the Bible says over and over again that He gathers all the nations together with His angels. They're out gathering them. So they gather Him and then He sits on His glorious throne. Why does He sit on a glorious throne? All the nations will be gathered together, the Bible says. <clears throat> he sits on His glorious throne. What does that have the idea of? King. It's His kingship. His kingship is going to be realized on this earth. Oh man. The Bible then says all the nations will be gathered before Him. Why are they all gathered? Because the angels are gathering them together. He brings them all together. And what does He do? And by the way, there's probably, and I've never done the math, but I'm guessing there's less than half the population the earth started with when we left. There is a depleted number of people, greatly depleted, because of the tribulation. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate. He'll separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, it's interesting. Do you know what that is? That is located right across the Kidron Valley from the Temple Mount. That is the church of all nations. Isn't that interesting? Why do you need a church of all nations? This is the church of all nations. The church of all nations in the garden, it's actually in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was constructed with funds from the Catholic churches all over the world. The name of this church attests to the spread of Jesus' message to the many nations. Well, I doubt that we're going to meet there. <laughs> but I will tell you this. We will meet. They will meet. All those that are left after the tribulation will meet. And they will meet Christ on His terms in His place. And this is the place. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Alright, we've got to talk about these sheep and goats. How many of you have ever been around sheep? <laughs> if there wasn't such thing as maggots, I would probably raise sheep. But it's just gross what happens when you don't cut their hair fast enough. But sheep and goat, this is what they look like. To us, it's kind of a, you know, it's a cool thing. It's almost a pet thing. Matter, matter of fact, if you go online and say, what is a goat? And they'll show you all these little cute pets. You know, okay, that's not what God's talking about. All right? There is a sheep here in this picture and a goat in this picture. And this picture was actually in the Middle East. Goats and sheep, do they look similar? similar? Absolutely. And they're often pastured together. A simple rule for distinguish is that a goat's tail goes up and a sheep's tail goes down. The goat is in the front with the white tail up and blending in him with the sheep behind him. Do you see that? That's one telltale. But there's others. There are lots of others. Let me read to you 
and hopefully you can get an idea of what he's talking about here, with the analogy that he's making. God is using sheep and goats as an analogy for saved and unsaved. Amen? That's what he's doing. Why is he doing that? Because he's trying to help the people where they are at culturally to understand what he's saying. Now, tell that to a guy in northern Minnesota. Huh? How many sheep farms and goat farms are there? Not very many. You go out west, there's more sheep farms. Matter of fact, Preta's uncle, I remember driving the four-wheeler up this mountain and, and I looked across the mountain and the whole mountain was moving. I'm not kidding you. It's actually a butte. But it's all moving. I'm like, what in the... It, What's going on? Is there something wrong with my head? No, it's all these sheep. Thousands of them are moving. So, very similar to what was happening in Israel. There wouldn't be thousands of them, but there probably were hundreds of them. Different kibbutz all over the place with these um, shepherds taking them all over the world or all over that area of the Middle East to feed them. And so they would be very familiar with this, this sheep and goat thing. It's what they ate. It's what they drank. How many have ever had lamb? If you had lamb, raise your hand. If you haven't had lamb, you need to. I, I challenge you though to put it on a grill, not in, not in a pan. <laughs> they're very greasy, but they're phenomenal. They're very good. Anyways, so what's the difference? And I'm going to go back to, to this verse. What are the differences? God apparently has very different opinions of two groups of people. He calls one sheep, the other goats. But what is it about sheep and goats that make such a big difference? And how can we know which one we are? The central difference between sheep and goats is different, is simple. It's an idea that we can come back to when we need to stay on track. A sheep is led by its shepherd... A goat herd is led by his goat. Did you hear that? The sheep is led by its shepherd. A goat herd is led by its goat. I am not, nor have ever been a shepherd. My familiarity with sheep and goats ends after cartoon characters and mattress commercials, which we've all seen. My familiarity with sheep and goats ends at that. So many times I feel like Scripture involving the concept of God's church being a flock or as being, you, or as being His sheep or even as Jesus being a lamb go right over my head. For instance, Matthew chapter 25 says, which has obviously included me to help understand something more, it just left me more confused. Why in the world is He separating sheep from goat? When the Son of Man comes in, He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then will, he will say to the goats on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom before you from the foundation of the world. Then he'll say to the ones on his left, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. By the way, do the right and the left matter to God? It's very, very interesting. And I don't know all the ins and outs of right and left. I will tell you a couple things though. In the Middle East, it was tradition for the left hand to be used as the shaman. Literally. That's why you shake with the right hand. How many get that? In our country in our the Puritan era, how remember or have heard of Puritans? The Puritans said this about the left hand. They said, homosexuality is the only thing worse than left handed. Now what in the world that means I have no earthly clue. But I can tell you they're thinking. That tells you you're thinking of how they think of the left hand. God, it seems though, says the same thing. Throughout Scripture, you can find this analogy quite often. One commentator was like, if you're looking east and there's a left and a right and all that, it's beyond me to think through all that. I didn't have time. 
But the point is, the left is more negative than the right in God's analogies, usually, in general. How many does that make sense? And there's reasons. But in this thing that we're looking through, why is the sheep in the goal? Why is that? So for us to be God's sheep, we must depend on Him to defend us. Amen? If we push, take, destroy, and bully, well, then we're goats. That's part of the difference. Why are sheep and goats separated? Why are sheep better than goats? Why does one earn reward and the other earn punishment? How do I make sure I'm not a goat? What if I already am a goat and I don't know it? The analogy continues to describe the works of sheep versus the those of goats. What inward difference produces such different outcomes? In North America, sheep and goat are easily distinguished due to the specialization through breeding. Sheep are fluffy and woolly, goats are not. However, throughout history and still today in parts of Asia and Africa, sheep and goats are almost identical. And no one but a shepherd can easily tell them apart. So the application here for, the, for this part of the text that we're in, it would not... It would not be what they look like on the exterior. It's what's inside because they both look the same. It's, it's what they do because of what is inside. The shepherd, remember the sheep, hear the shepherd's voice and they follow, obey. Imagine that. God created man to worship and obey. Sheep follow and obey the shepherd. Do you see the similarity? This might be the reason. I would argue it is. <clears throat> Here's some fun quotes about goats from a livestock forum. This kind of tells you the inner actions of a goat. If you leave goats in with your horse, they may chew off his tail. My dad has described goats as the Jack Russell with hooves. If your fence won't hold water, it won't hold a goat. Are you getting the idea of what a goat is? He does whatever he wants to do. Whenever he wants to do it, no matter what it hurts. He does everything on his own. The sheep, on the other hand, do not. The sheep hear his voice and obey him. By the way, what an analogy for us today. Amen? We are to hear what He says and obey Him. That is the marked difference between a sheep and a goat. Shepherds protect sheep from their environment, whereas goat herders protect the environment from their goats. So for us to be God's sheep, we must depend on Him to defend us. If we push, take, destroy, and bully we're nothing but a goat. Sheep follow the voice of their shepherd. They trust Him. They trust Him to lead them to food. They trust Him to lead them to water and safety. If they wander, which they do, the shepherds do go out and rescue and bring them back into the fold. Sheep separated from the shepherd and flock are nervous and vulnerable because they have no defense or offensive survival abilities. A goat, however, doesn't follow anyone. A herd goat goes where it wants. The goat herd follows him, follows behind him. Instead of grazing, goats browse, foraging for what strikes their fancy. So they tell us, so that tells us that if we are allowing ourselves to be led, being sensitive to the pull of God's Spirit, and following the path of our shepherd, 
we're shepherds. We're sheep. If we're headstrong, going our own way, and pulling back against God's Spirit, we are goats. We're doing the thing we want to do. So the thing that God sees in sheep is gentle and yielded spirit. By the way, there is a book out two years, a year and a half ago I read it. We all need to read it. It's called Gentle and Lowly. It's a book you should have and a book you should read. Be careful when you read it because God is not only a... It, it, it can be understood as a passive God. He is not a passive God. He's all act. Whether by love or whether by judgment, He's all act. They trust the shepherd the sheep do. They follow His voice. On the other hand, got it? On the other hand, right hand, left hand, the goat has a spirit of defiance. Self-will, they will cry. Sound familiar? Independence. My own thing. That's what a goat is. Is that picture colored for you? All right. So he will separate the sheep from the goat. <clears throat> Next, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are a blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Come, you who are blessed of my father. What does that mean? Come. This is one of those words that are we have to pay attention to. When He came from heaven to earth, now He's saying, come. What is He saying? Is He saying, hey, enter into the kingdom here and now? Or is He saying, come up with Me to your kingdom? Does he, how many understand that? You could look at it either way. And this is the issue we're going to go battling for the next week or two. Come, you are our blessed My Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation, before the foundation of the world. From the foundation of the world. So, the idea is, He's coming as a king. He's using the same language the Jewish people would understand that, oh, like Tiberius. He's the king. He's the emperor. Matter of fact, to be honest with you, Tiberius and all the other emperors looked at themselves as gods. Well, finally, the King of kings, God of gods, is coming to this earth and will set up His eternal kingdom. Amen. What a great thing. How does this happen, you would ask? Well, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. All those things you did. And, and, and the righteous in this verse is saying, well, I don't get it. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, what in the world are you talking about? What are you talking about? When did we see you hungry? Because I don't remember. When did, I, when did we give you food? When did we give you drink? When, when did that happen? I cannot remember that. This is a picture of a Bedouin hospitality. By the way, all Bedouins, if they're a stranger comes in and asks for something to eat, they're obligated to do that. To invite them in to their Bedouin camp and feed them. And, and that's the mentality they would have. In today's society, we lose all that. Do we not? We just, we don't get it. But this is what, they would bring them in. They would clothe them. They would give them food. They would make sure they're healthy. They would help them. Matter of fact, that still goes on today even in Islam within the Middle East. There are, there are stories of our soldiers going to these places and they have to take care of them and they die for them. This is the mentality that the author, Matthew, is trying to impact on the minds of his readers. This picture, if you will. And the, the, the sheep say, well, when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? I don't remember that time at all. Can you please tell us when did that happen? Well, the Bible says in verse 25, chapter 25, 40, the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these 
And here's, a, here's the issue. Brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. So, we can look at this and say, okay, we, should we take this passage literally and apply it literally? Well, then we should be a works-based salvation, should we not? This is not what it's trying to say. What it is trying to say is, true believers do good works. Amen? True believers do good works. So, please don't get that wrong. But the issue is here, who are the brothers of mine? Okay, so immediately, if I'm standing for Christ and He tells me that, I'm going to think, okay, who is brother? James was his brother. Is that true? Judas was his brother. Maybe it's those two. I don't think so. Who is this written to? Who is He saying this to? Let me put it that way. All the nations of the world. They're standing before Him, are they not? Being judged. There's people who have no idea who James and Judas are. Is that not true? So who are these brothers of mine? What is He talking about? Even the least of them, you did it to me? Well, let's just for a second look and see what these guys could be. The brothers of mine. Let's, this is Jesus. Whoever The brothers that you did this to of mine, I, that's the ones I'm talking about. Well, some people say, and I would guess this is a Roman Catholic view, all who are poor in general. Let me ask you, are the poor always with us? Absolutely. The Bible says that very word. That's why I said it that way. The poor are always here. There will always be poor. Um, but poor in general, so what are we talking about? We're saying, he's saying, well, literally he's saying good works can outweigh bad works. And here's your good works. Do good to people. That's your way of salvation. That's not what this is saying. Not at all that's what they're saying. So could it be the poor in general? Maybe, but I really highly doubt it. I don't think so. But let's keep going. There's reasons why. In general, nowhere in Scripture, by the way, are Jesus' brothers referred to the poor in general. This would be the exception to the rule in all Scripture. And when there's exceptions to the rule, you like, I'm not sure that I'm going to go down that road, right? Alright, so poor in general, probably not. All humanity. We're all God's children, right? By the way, you've got to be careful if you're going to use that term. <laughs> God's children. It's simply not plausible interpretation. It just doesn't make any sense that it's talking about all humanity. Because humanity is what is doing it to the all humanity. Do you understand what I'm saying? It, it, it doesn't fit. How about Christians? How about Christians? All those that are born again. All those that are followers of Christ. Is that a possibility? Does the Bible use the term brother to refer to brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, of course He does. So that's possible. How about another one? How about the apostles? Is He talking about apostles and missionaries? Say, so why would you say that? Who is He talking to? The apostles are right there. Matter of fact, I'm going to make an argument here real soon on the text. You'll see is oh, okay. So that's a possibility. Missionaries and apostles. How about this one? How about Jewish people? Could it be talking about the Jewish people? Certainly. Paul calls them brothers. Jesus calls them brothers. He was literally brothers. Some of them were literal and spiritual brothers. Right? So all those three of those are plausible. Let's keep going and see if maybe the text helps us a little bit more. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, ye cursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. By the way, he says, Depart from me, accursed ones, into eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. That's a very key thing that will be 
we'll be talking about in the next couple of weeks. By the way, there's a ton of stuff we're going to go through. I hope you don't miss this because there's a ton here. Oh, oh I got to tell you this. This is a fire um, on the 33rd day of pa- after Passover. This fire was let, let, lit. Sorry. It was lit to celebrate the 33rd day after Passover. Um, within the next couple of weeks before the snow goes, I've got huge piles of, to burn. Do you realize when those piles, you can't even get very close at all. Um, I guess to do modern illustration, um, Russia just bombed last night a um, oil, I don't know if it was a refinery or an oil holding place. And literally, it will melt steel up to 100 yards away from it. That's how hot it gets. Folks, hell is designed by God to give justice to the unjust. He says to these guys on the left, I was the same thing. I was hungry. I was thirsty. I was naked. You clothed me. Or you did not clothe me. You did not come and see me in prison. You didn't come and visit me. Then they said also to them, answer themselves. Look what they said. What's the first word they said? Then they themselves also answered, comma, these are goats calling Christ Lord. Does that mean something? Absolutely. To be honest with you, I think this is dealing with works salvation. There are people going that can be applied to work salvation. There are going to be people. I've heard it from my own lips. I had a guy living with us and he came up and said, if my God doesn't want me to work for my own salvation, I don't want anything to do with that God. Folks, Jesus Christ paid the penalty on the cross for us. It's for us. It's by faith. But there are millions of people, a great percentage of quote-unquote Christians believe that their good works have to outweigh their bad works. I'm reminded of a contractor that I was just dealing with and talking with, and he fell. And he cussed. Bad. He had a saw blade in his hand. I was like, oh man, he's going to die. He's like 65 years old. and I'm, a, I'm scared for him. He cussed. He came back the next day to my shop. I said, Tim, I got it all taken care of. So, what, I, what are you talking about? I'm sorry, I'm sorry I cussed. You don't have to apologize to me. Well, don't worry about it. I, I said enough Holy Marys last night. Took care of it. The good works outweighs the language in his mind. He needs the Lord. If your good works is good enough, then why in the world did Jesus Christ come and die? Our good works are as bloody, nasty, disgusting rags. When did we do this, Lord? When did we see you hungry or thirsty? Because the idea is, if we did see you, we would have, because we knew our eternal life depends upon it. Right? Well, when did this happen? Because I don't remember. I wish I did, because I would have made sure it happened. He then answered them, Truly I say unto you, to the extent, and here is the key to who the brothers may or may not be. I, get, I think it tilts it more one way. To the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these. Now, now we have... First of all, I think Christians are out of the picture at that point. Because here's what you have. You have Jewish people there and you have the apostles there. How many understand that? And when he says these and the least of these, it's highly possible he's talking about his disciples sitting right there. And the least of these being whom? John, right? He may be talking about the Jewish people. Whatever it is, they're there. 
because of the term that is used. How many get it? They're there, so it helps us understand what, who these people were. You did it to me. This is where it gets a little difficult. These, these, who are those? The ones on his left will go into eternal punishment. The text is very clear. Going into eternal punishment is where they're going. That eternal punishment was prepared for whom? The devil and his angels. Now, you people are going there too. Then it says, and this is where it gets difficult, but the righteous into eternal life. What does that mean? Eternal life. When you think of eternal life, what do you think of? Let me ask you this. When you think of eternal life, do you think of life on this earth? There's not a, No, you don't. So how do we deal with that? The righteous into eternal life because we believe that this is pre-millennial judgment. How many want to know what I think? Who cares what I think, right? Here's what I think he's trying to say. After that judgment, how many... Okay, so where are all the unsaved going? Hell, they're gone. Eternal damnation, they're gone. The only people left at that moment are what? Saved. Here's the deal. They're saved. They are believers. They're followers of Christ. They will never, ever, for sure, taste of the second death. Never taste of that. I don't know for positive or not that they will or not die during the millennium. I don't know. That, it, there's, there's arguments either way. But the point is, they are the people that will eventually be in heaven and the new heaven and the new earth for eternity. So that does answer that, and it does help. But I will tell you this, looking at it at face value, it's like, well, yeah, at the end of time, right? It looks like that. So you can see how the great white throne at the end of the millennium and the uh, judgment of the nations at the end of the tribulation can be conflated together. There are similar languages. Now, how many are excited to learn about the differences and the similarities between the millennial or the, between the great white throne judgment and the judgment of the nations? How many want to know the similarities and the differences? You'll have to be here next week. Okay. Because I'm telling you, I have pages after pages after pages. I cannot wait because here's what we're doing. I'm going to put up Matthew chapter 25 and right next to it, Revelation chapter 20. And we'll put them side by side so you can see both Scripture texts. And as we follow along, you can actually see what happens when the first judgment happens. It's, it's talked about in Matthew 25. It's alluded to in Revelation chapter 20. And Revelation chapter 20 is a logical and chronological sequenced order. It's awesome. We're going to put them side by side so you can see them. Then we're going to go through Old Testament, New Testament. I think it's Exodus chapter 24 is one of the passages where we're going to see that God already talked about all these judgments and things way back then. It, it's awesome. It's, I can't wait. Can you wait? I can't. Shall we get going on it? No. <laughs> because you'll get lost. But we're going to do that. I'm going to also hand out pamphlets to you, some paperwork that you can go home and do your own study. Michael Vlock. How many remember Michael Vlock? Michael Vlock is the dispensational teacher of our day. He, and I just took two classes from him in the last year. He has, he has put down the differences between the, the, the great white throne and the judgment of nations. He shows all the differences. We're going, I'm going to give you that. But then I'm going to, as we go through that, give you some things that he didn't really address that I think he should have or that caused issues. How many understand that? And that's what we're going to do. We're going to show you the differences and the similarities for this reason. Eschatology shouldn't divide fellowship with believers. It shouldn't. We're saved by grace of God through faith in Christ. 
we must love each other. Do we have differences of opinion on these things? Yes. Is that the gospel difference? No. So it's, if it's not a gospel difference, and it's not, are they our brother and sister in Christ? Yes or no? Absolutely. There is, listen, nobody in this world is 100% correct in their eschatology. They're not. Well, by the way, how many know what eschatology is? Okay, study of end times, right? Study, I hate to say that, that was wrong. The study of how God works in future. That's better. It focuses on God. So, next week, we're going to go through that. Amen? I'm excited about it. I'm pumped. We've gone through this lightly. I showed you some issues that we need to pay attention to. I'm giving you the basic idea of what happened in the text. How many got that? Next week, we're going to break it down and help us understand the differences and the similarities between those two. And that will conclude. I'm telling you, within the next two weeks, we will be concluded with eschatology. Not forever, but we'll be concluded at this time with eschatology and we'll then get our, make our way back to Romans chapter 12 to finish that up. Um, and as soon as Romans 12 is, Romans, the book of Romans is finished, then we're going into the book of John and we're going to be doing the life of Christ again. I'm so excited. I have to tell you this. Um, I have almost, I think it's, I, I, I think it's fair to say six to 8,000 pictures that are going to be packed into the life of Christ before we start the book of John. So I am pumped. I'm excited. And uh, I hope you are too. Next week, what are we doing? Eschatology. Good. And what exactly? The difference between the, the great white throne judgment and the similarities between the great white throne judgment and the judgment of the nations. Those two. That's our goal. I pray that God has a different goal. Because I'd rather experience it than teach it. Alright? Does that make sense? So, have a great day. I have Mr. Pierce. I'm Praise the Lord, I got to, Mr. Pierce came and saw me this week. And he walked in my shop and I said, Mr. Pierce, can I give you a hug? Because <laughs> I needed to give him a hug. I love this man. He, this man loves the Lord and wants to serve everybody. And the Lord put him down for a while because of COVID. And uh, he's still with us. Amen. And now he's with us. Not only in spirit, but now physically. So I've asked Mr. Pierce if he would come and close our service in word of prayer as we are dismissed for the week. Thank you. Let's go ahead and rise. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you how it can change lives. We thank you how it has changed our lives. We thank you for the cross of Calvary. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you, Lord, that uh, it is preached here, that it is given here. I pray, Lord, that our eyes have been opened and our hearts have been opened to it. And as we study each week as a pastor, we just uh, pray that you give him the wisdom to, to give us this word. And Lord, that it would uh, be to your honor and your glory. Lord, before we go this week, we think of those in Ukraine, Lord. We just pray that you be with the, those folks, especially the Christians and the pastors, as it was mentioned this morning, that you would be with them in a special way, watch over and protect them. We think of this pastor who's uh, most of his congregations in the military. And we know and we realize what that means, Lord. We just pray, Lord, that your will would be done. Lord, we pray that you give our uh, leaders here in this country wisdom in, in dealing with this. And Lord, it's uh, already we feel the effects of the gas and all this other stuff. And really, Lord, that's not nothing. 
because we really haven't lost our homes and haven't lost our lives over this. So just give us wisdom and, and a, an appreciative heart, Lord, and uh, think of and pray for these folks, and Lord, that your will would be done. We thank you again, Lord, for loving us and meeting our needs above and beyond what we deserve. We know that we deserve hell, but because of your great love, you've given us your son on the cross of Calvary. Be with us this week. Help us to be a witness and a testimony of the great things that you've done in our life, Lord, that would bring glory to your name. These things we pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen.